0: Good evening, everybody. Thank you, Rebecca Katz, for the introduction. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. It's such a big crowd. I want to start with a question. There's no wrong answer to this question, but I would like to hear from you your own feedback. What what do you think the correct, in your opinion, your understanding was the correct answer to this question? I, I want to know if you were to be asked, what are the three biggest challenges to our generation? And when I say our generation, I really mean your generation. What would you say? What are the the biggest things that we're struggling with? I would say one would be technology. Technology is one. Very good. Go ahead. Listening, respect, okay, excellent. Go ahead. Okay, La- lack of patience to wait for a goal. Okay, go ahead. You know who you want to be loyal to. It's your parents, your friends, or the school you're taught in. Okay, I would say understanding your values. Okay, that's what you mean? Okay, go ahead. Anybody else? In the back, just one second. Ladder. Self-esteem. <laughs> Self-esteem, excellent. Go ahead. <laughs> Shmirasalashin, also good. Um, school. school. <laughs> that's a great. That's a great place to say that. <laughs> I don't disagree with you. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me tell you what my idea was, and I think. It's just my perspective, because all the answers are correct, and each one of them, they all fit into a category of the categories that we're going to talk about. I would say that one of the first answers, which was technology, is definitely a very big struggle in this generation, but if you think about it, the essence of the struggle with technology is a number of things. Number one... It presents a distraction and it's a distraction on a level that hasn't existed historically, right? So technology just erodes our ability to focus, to be in the moment, to be able to be attentive and to put our efforts and abilities fully into anything. It also makes it very difficult for us to apply ourselves other than things we have to do. So we tear ourselves away from technology when there are things we have to do. People are able to work, they're able to accomplish things, but it basically becomes only what you have to do is what you do. Otherwise, we turn to our distraction. And another aspect of it is obviously that it brings to our doorstep a kind of temptation that hadn't existed previously. It presents us with a struggle with a Yetzirah with a, uh, a difficult choice on a daily basis which also is not the kind of choice that had to, that was faced by previous generations. So I think we can say that this is, a, this is we can qualify this as a Yetzirah of, of taiva, of desire, of temptation, and a Yetzirah of bitulzman, of wasting time, of being, of, of losing focus. The second big struggle, also someone said, I believe, is with self-worth, self-esteem. People get very discouraged and very demoralized and have a hard time recognizing their own significance. And this leads to a variety of secondary problems. There's lack of happiness, there's anxiety, there's depression, and there's a general lack of motivation in life, and one thing kind of leads to the next. And it gets worse that people then cause... It causes people to lose their appreciation for Judaism, to Yiddishkeit, and it sends them further away, possibly off the darach, and it leads people to addiction. All starts from the basic lack of self-worth, self-esteem, lack of understanding, each one of us, what our importance is, what our significance is. And the third big struggle, also mentioned, is with values. And when I say values, there's a lot of things included, and that's why many of the answers really fall under that. But values are Torah values. Torah has value of family, it has values of marriage, it has values of respect, values of life. And there are certain things that were never challenged for also hundreds of years and now are coming into question. And every time we're exposed and we listen to a speech, we listen to the media, we read, we hear, it's a constant erosion, they're constantly chipping away at our conviction that these values are important. That it's important to be religious. Forget which religion. That it's important to be religious. It's important to believe in Hashem. That it's important to be married. That it's important to have children. All these values that are such basic values of every Torah Jew are being eroded on a constant basis and it's causing us to lose our conviction of how important they are. And I think... If you think of it in a different way, these struggles essentially exist in every generation. They just take a different form. They can be called, if you wish, zara, Gilariah, and Shrikhazdamim, the thing that destroyed the first base of Mikdash. zara is the, is the lack of Torah values, the person throws away what Yiddishkeit teaches him. Gilariah is the giving in to desire and temptation. And Shri Haslamim, taking another person's life, both literally and figuratively, is the lack of worth, the worth of a human being, self-worth or another human being. Something we see a lot of in today's day and age with cancel culture and things like that. So I want to address it in an interesting way. When Hanukkah is coming up, and we tend to think of the war that was waged on Hanukkah, was a war of emancipation. They were coming to free themselves from the oppression, from the decrees that the Greeks were putting upon them. But it's not really true. If you study the story in depth, and you also study the history a little bit, the Jews from the time that the first base of Mikdash was destroyed were under foreign rule. They were oppressed. They didn't have, they didn't have their own freedom. They were serving a Gentile king. They were serving the Babylonian kings, and then the Madi, and then the Persian, and etc. They were constantly under foreign rule. So at the time of the story in Hanukkah, they had been under foreign rule for over 200 years. And they never thought to throw off that yoke, because they understood that's not what Hashem wants. They were under, under foreign rule. They accepted that, and it was very difficult for them. There's Psukim in Nichemia, which is right as the second base of Mikdash was being built. They were happy that they had the ability to have a base of Mikdash, which was unusual, it was surprising to them that they were given permission to build the second base of Mikdash. And they complain in the Psukim of how difficult it is to be under the yoke of a foreign king and they had to pay taxes and there was oppressive decrees and he made it difficult for them. But they accepted it just as we accept it, and Jews have accepted it for thousands of years. That's not a foreign thing for Jews, it's not unusual. Jews are accustomed to being under the yoke of a, a foreign kingdom. It's just our our, our lat in Gallus. And it wasn't different after the second base of Mikdash was destroyed, that uh, was built, I'm sorry. It, it was a continuation of the first base of Mikdash's destruction. They were under foreign rule. They weren't looking to break free of the, Greek, the Greeks to achieve freedom. That wasn't a, the motivation. Their motivation was actually something else. They started a war for a different reason. Al-Shalom Shadran, he says, that in al we thank Hashem, Al-Hamul Hamas, for the wars. Now, we also thank Hashem for Al-Atshuahs, that we won the war. So why are we thanking Hashem for the war? You thank Hashem that you win the war. Why would you thank Hashem for the war itself? It doesn't make sense. The war wasn't a good thing. The war was a bad thing. It was a necessary evil. We thank Hashem that we were successful. We, we were victorious. And he also asks a very famous question: that why would we say Rishoyim biat Sadikim? How is that a part of winning the war? The who's evil and who's good doesn't determine who should win the war. It wasn't a bigger miracle that the evil people lost. So he says that uh, the same concept. He says that Matasio wasn't waging this war to gain freedom. That wasn't why he waged this war. He would have gone, continued under the Greek oppression just as they had been continuing under all the other foreign rules for hundreds of years already at this point. He said what changed, and the reason why he waged the war was because of the misyavnim, because of the Jews that started to go over to the other side, to the Greek side. And you have to understand also something that, if you learn a little bit of the historical a presentation, Yosef and other svarim that document. The misyavnim, they weren't just people that lost their appreciation for Judaism. They were the the same idea as a Nazi collaborator. They were collaborating with the the Greeks, and they were betraying their fellow Jews. They were giving them over to the Greeks. They They were what we would call a meuser. They were telling on them. They were getting them in trouble, and they were causing the decrees to be, get worse and worse. They were giving them ideas how to make decrees. So these Jews were Jews that were betraying their own people because they had lost their sense of identity. They had lost their pride at being a Jew. And they had lost hope of being redeemed because they were waiting for Mashiach just the way we wait for Mashiach, because they were under oppression, oppressive rule. They were waiting for a redemption just the way we wait for redemption. But the Jews that were misyavnim had given up hope. So they started to collaborate. And when they started to collaborate, they also accepted Greek culture. And as an attempt to get all the Jews on their side and make all the Jews part of their movement, they tried in insidious ways to introduce that culture into the holy Jews' that were trying to preserve their Yiddishkeit, so to to break them down, to wear them down, and make everybody give in and give up. And this was a cause for war. This was something that could not be tolerated because it would destroy the essence and the fabric of the Jewish nation. It would destroy them. We could deal with oppression, and we have, and we've done it for thousands of years, and we have survived, but we can't deal with something which is essentially like a cancer. Within the Jews, the Jews themselves, who are trying to subvert the nation, collaborating with the the other side, betraying their own people, that could not be tolerated. So, we thank Hashem al-Mulchames, was that he gave the inspiration to Matis Yahud to start a war, because that was a big deal. They weren't holding by starting a war. They wouldn't have st- started the war for just the reason to free themselves. They started the war because there was no other option. There was no other way to deal with this problem. And that, he says, is why we thank Hashem that it's it's Yad Eiskei Sacha, the evil ones, in the hands of those who learned Torah, because that's who the war was against. It wasn't against the Greeks. It was against the Misyavna. Now what you see is a fascinating thing. During the time when the second base of Miktash was rebuilt, these are Psukim and Nechemia, do you know what Jews were struggling with then? What was the Nesayin of that generation? I asked you what was the Nesayin of this generation. But that was the generation that just come up from Galus Bovel, they came back to Israel, they were struggling, they had a Nesayin. The Pasuk talks about two things. That Nehemiah, he gathered them all together and he publicly chastised them and rebuked them and then made instituted uh, different ways to, get, to help people, to inspire them to change. Two things they were struggling with. One was keeping Shabbos. Fascinating. Not that they were working on Shabbos in terms of uh, you know, planting and, and, and reaping and harvesting and Lamentas Malachis. No, what they were doing is they were buying and selling on Shabbos. Buying and selling on Shabbos is not an Iser Deir Isis, an Iser Dar-Abanan. It had already been instituted at that point. There were people who would bring merchandise, they would bring it on Shabbos to Yerushalayim, and people would buy and sell. And he got up and he screamed from the podium and he said, this can't go on. You're losing the whole nature, the whole essence of what Shabbos is about. You're transforming it from what it's meant to be into a day of work. And as a result, he instituted a number of halachas that we're very familiar with. So much so that many children, when you talk about something, you're not allowed to do on Shabbos, right? So what will your younger brother, younger sister say? If you see someone doing something, you can't do that, it's... It's, it's muktzah, exactly, right? Now, muktzah is a bad description for something that may be an But that is what Nechemi instituted. Muktzah started then. There was no halacha of muktza before that. He instituted muktza, and as we see, it so changed the essence of what Shabbos is, is that we refer to everything as muktza, because it, it, it brought Shabbos back again. It gave it its, its special feel, which had been lost. So they were struggling with Shabbos. They were struggling with appreciating Shabbos. They were struggling with giving up time and to do nothing on Shabbos. So we had to institute muktza to inspire them to continue to do that. The other thing they were struggling with, they married non-Jewish women. They went into Gallos, many people had been killed, many women had been killed, and they married non-Jewish women, and they came back there to Eretz with their non-Jewish wives and families, and he had to institute a mass, I don't know what, it doesn't say exactly what he did, but they, people publicly broke down, crying at this transgression of one of the core values of being a Jew, you marry a Jew. You don't marry out. And that was also a tremendous loss of pride of them as Jews. They had gone into Gullus, and they lost some of their self-identity. And this struggle, you can be sure, if it started then, it had continued. And Matasio waged his war. Why? Because the Greeks decreed against Shabbos, the Greeks had a decree in regarding to marrying non-Jews as well. What we're weak in is what the decrees come. If we have a weakness, that's where the Yitzhakara has an ability to make a decree. He fought a war to strengthen Shabbos. He fought a war to strengthen our pride of being Jews. The Nesiv Yishalom says, relating to Hanukkah, he says, The main place where the Yitzhahar will find his way of winning over us is making us not appreciate Shabbos. He says Shabbos, a Jew can elevate himself enough that he can have the power to be successful throughout the week. He says if you sleep through Shabbos, he says it in Yiddish, if you sleep through Shabbos, he says then you're putting yourself into his hands. The only strength, spiritual strength that we have is in Shabbos. And if you think about it, and this is the main point I'm coming to say today, is that Shabbos is really the solution to these three struggles that we have. Clearly on Shabbos, we don't, hopefully, do any technology. And rather than the forced abstinence that it is, we can take a minute every Shabbos and just think about how much more peaceful we are that our phones and our computers and our technology is off. We can think of how much it drains us that we have to struggle on a daily basis, minute to minute, to make a decision. Should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Should I use this? Should I look at this? Should I listen to this? Should I hear this? Should I watch this? It's a constant struggle, and even when we're successful, it's draining. It saps the energy out of us. And on Shabbos, we don't have that, and we have so much more peace Inner peace. And if we take a moment to think about it, it'll give us so much motivation and strength and energy to keep it up. Shabbos is also the key for us understanding our self worth. Let me tell you a story. There is a fellow, he is a chuva. He became, even though you'd meet him, you wouldn't know he's a balshuva, but he became a balshuva in Los Angeles. Uh, he used to eat when my wife was young. She used to eat at my father-in-law's house. His name is then, it was Adam Lin, now Shmuel Lin. He's, uh, he's a principal, I believe, in Philadelphia. So he sent a video to me of him telling this story. He said he was becoming from, in L.A., and he went to my father-in-law's shul. There was a bar mitzvah, and he was just in the beginning of his path. And he was there by the bar mitzvah. The bar mitzvah boy leaned beautifully. And as he, as he finished laning and davening, people came to say Mazel Tov. And so, people came also from other shuls, from neighboring schools, to come and give Mazel Tov to the bar mitzvah boy and the Baal Simcha. In walks someone he sees. He's wearing this beautiful bakesha. It has blue flowers on it. And if you've ever seen a bakesha like that, it's like really eye-catching. And you know, it has this big cummerbund, a big gartel. And he's wearing a, a huge strammel. And he walks up. He says, the guy, he said he looked like King Midas, <laughs> he said, where he was dressed. He never saw it before in his life. You don't see it that much here either at Silver Spring. We, you know, we have like one or two. Token Hasidim. But uh, in any case, he walks in. He never saw a thing like that. So he taps the guy uh, next to him. And he says, he figured he must be a very important person. He was probably like the rabbi of the whole Los Angeles. So he taps the guy next to him and he says, Who is that? He said, Who? He said, You know, that guy wearing the, that, that cloak. He says, Oh, him? Uh, he's the pizza guy. <laughs> he is, I know, it's uh, Rabbi Ullman. Uh, he's the guy, he runs the pizza shop. It's a chassid shayid. And on, on, during the week, you wouldn't know, but on Shabbos, he walks around with his back. And he said, You know, he, he, was, horror, he was flabbergasted. He said, These people are delusional. This guy's a pizza guy, and he's walking around like he's a king. And then he said, he came to the realization that he said, that, no, 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 he has it right. That is what Shabbos is supposed to give us. Shabbos is supposed to give us that feeling that we're kings. That feeling of our pride to be Jews, to be able to serve a Kaddish Baruch Hu. There's another story. My father, Allah <clears throat> HaShalom, used to say, he heard this from Rabbi Yashver Saloveitchik. He said it in one of his speeches. And I found it online, a video of him saying it. He said that he was traveling, Rabbi Yeshubar was traveling in Europe before the war. And he went to a little town. And he was davening Marav in a gerer shtibel. And it was, uh, they were having shal shudas in shul. And it was getting late. And he was trying to figure out when are they going to dav Marav. So he tapped someone on the back, and the guy turned around to look at him. And he looked at the guy, and he was astonished. He said he knew this guy. This guy was the porter. He was the one who, like you know, carried stuff around for people, the UPS guy. And during the week, he said his clothing was ripped and torn because he worked, you know, and he had work clothing. He was very, very poor. He couldn't afford to rip it, to, to fix it when it would get ripped and, and torn. So he walked around in tattered clothing during the week. And on Shabbos, he was sitting there with his bekis and his He said he looked like an angel. So he taps him on the back, turns around, and he asks him, "Uh, Rabbi Yid, when are we going to daven marv? So the Yid turned to him and he said to him in Yiddish, Rabbi, you're you're, you're you're wishing for a weekday? (laughs) You can't wait until it becomes a weekday? What's your rush? How could you give up Shabbos? And he said that was a lesson for him. Because this person was transformed by Shabbos. He didn't want to go back to what he was during the week. He appreciated every moment of it. It gave him that sense of self-worth, that sense of self-identity. And of course, if we appreciate what Shabbos is all about, every aspect of our Jewish values are focused and worked on every single Shabbos when we sit together as a family and we appreciate each other. So in the spirit of why the whole war on Hanukkah happened, it's a wonderful thing if we could think of ourselves away on every Shabbos, we could give thought to one of these three things because not everybody struggles with the same thing, but someone, everyone and every one of us is struggling with one of these things. Give some time on Shabbos to give some thought, to inspire ourselves to find in Shabbos the source of inspiration, the source of elevation that will give us the power to be successful in that struggle throughout the week. And through truly appreciating Shabbos, may we all be zeichah to elevate ourselves, to become greater, and to be zeichah all together to the coming of Mashiach the Kingdom. Meher Amen.